It's episode 15 of Story Garden Pod, and I'm your host and story gardener, Megan Ling. This week, we have a special episode that was recorded live on location at Historic Rosemont in Gallatin, Tennessee. I welcomed four guests who are involved in various ways in our community, and while the original prompt asked us to discuss community in general, it ended up becoming a conversation about race and how that affects the community and the things that are happening now and the things that happened in the past. And we even have a story from the Sumner County historian that dates all the way back to 1780. Now, it's definitely a different episode than normal, and it may be a bit longer than normal too, so if it's not your cup of tea, I won't mind, but I do hope that you'll take some time and try to get to know some of my guests better. In order, I was excited to welcome Mr. Bill Ligon, Mr. Kenneth Thompson, my young friend Nicholas, and my best friend Kanisha Dotson to the podcast. I also have a brief conversation with Kate Olery, who invited me to do this live recording at Rosemont. Gives you a very small bit of information about the historic home, and I hope that you'll consider attending some of their events in the future if you live in the area. Having said all that, are you ready? It's time to grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us in the Story Garden. I'm Kate. I have children. I work at Rosemont. I like being with people that I like. I <laughs> love you too. Me too. <laughs> Great. Okay. And Kate, um, Kate invited me to record this episode here at Rosemont. So Kate, can you give us some background on the house? Rosemont was built in 1836 and lived in by six generations of the same family, the Guild family, all the way up until 2005. It is the newest of the old historic house homes in that it has only been tourable since the mid 1990s. That's awesome. And what is your favorite part about the house? My favorite part about the house is all the people in it. Well, no, okay. Really, it's, it's when you go from the dining room up the stairs and end up outside. That is my favorite part about the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I had to think about that. What about the ghosties? I like them, too. They're usually pretty nice to me. Perfect. Okay. Kate, is there anything that you would like to tell the world about Rosemont? Okay, so this coming Saturday, we have Death Comes to Rosemont. October 27th, we have Trick or Treat at Rosemont. And on December 2nd, I think it's the first Saturday in December, there is Mary Mantles. And in between Mary Mantles and Trick or Treat, there is a paranormal investigation. That's November 11th. And also, Rosemont was recently on what? Ghost Hunters. It was on Ghost Hunters. So it's on Travel Channel, Discovery Plus, and HBO Max. And Kate is now a famous superstar. So they tell me. (laughs) Awesome. Well... Thank you, Kate. This is Mr. Bill Ligon. Can you give me a 60-second 
synopsis of you, like anything fun. Ain't nothing fun about the last 71 years that I've been out here. Um, I'm um, pretty straightforward, uh, no nonsense, uh, and I don't play. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's, that's how I got here. Yeah. Okay, I, I, and uh, it's, uh, and that, but you had to be, you had to be that way when you grew up where I was, who I was, and the, the way the world was turning. Yeah. When I got, when I turned 12, 13, 14 years old. Right, and you went to Union High School. Yeah. Um, and now Union High School is, um, it houses Shalom Zone, so right. there's a fun little connection there later that I think Kanisha will also talk about. But mm -hmm. tell me a story about community in Gallatin. The community was basically from the depot to the park, Cleary Park. Yeah, yeah. That was the community. It was one on nine. Terry store was one was 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 the was an outpost on yeah, one on nine. Yeah. The other outpost was the tobacco barn and the ice factory down on was it Red River? Uh, there it, was an ice factory. That it used to be. It was. It was the. Uh, uh, it was a, right there at the railroad tracks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, well, like I said, that's, that's. But that was. That was the. That was the. That was our community. Yeah. But it went from uh, the, the, the Cleary Park back over to Terry Store, down past Oakley's, which is the corner there, West East, West Eastland and Bly. It was yeah. Oakley Store. Yeah. And down there was the ice factory, and it, it was a tobacco barn there. Wow. Okay. And so that that's that was the, and then and what is it? Washington Park out there where uh, what is what's the what's the school out on uh, on, uh, uh, on uh, Red River Road? Uh, 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 Howard. Howard. Howard Elementary. Oh yeah okay. yeah Howard yeah. Elementary. Uh, our, our community kind of went right up to the edge of Howard Elementary. Yeah. Right. That was it. That was that was. That's that was community. That's the community that I understood. And so, do you have like a favorite memory from? <laughs> no. No. It, it's impossible for me to sit here and tell you that any kind of favorite memory. See, it's just childhood. Yeah. And it's the childhood that you know, because that's the childhood that you have. Right. All right. See, you don't miss what you can't measure. Right. So the memories from childhood were what we would consider to be normal. Uh, we, you know, we just played and uh, went to school and, you know, played marbles. We did all the little normal stuff that everybody pretty much did. But because of the fact that we had, I, I was unusual, I could walk to my elementary school. Yeah. And I walked to my high school. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. So. Right. I didn't have to circle more than two blocks in 11 years to complete my uh, uh, secondary education. That's amazing. It's kind of weird. No. I, can't, I mean, I can't think of it now, I guess, because everything is so spread. Like, I have to drive almost anywhere. But you can. But, but see, we couldn't. Yeah. All right, we couldn't. Once you cross those railroad tracks down at the depot, yeah, you got to take off running. Yep. Uh, and when you came through town, if you went past Dickie Wagner's place, you had to duck down and get past that real quick because somebody might come after you. So 
it was uh, um, to get to the railroad tracks or to get back to the depot, I mean, to the uh, ice house down there, you could kind of breathe easily. Yeah. So I, that was our community, but there was nothing else going on anywhere else in Galveston that we knew about. Right. That we were welcome to do. Yeah. Um, do you think how things have changed? Do no, you, no, they have not. Okay. People have changed. Yeah. Things are still the same. Yeah. Okay. What you have is a younger people like you all who grew up with people like me. Mm-hmm. Then you have people like me who did not grow up with other people and other than just like me. Right, right. So what you have to look at, you have to look at popular culture yeah. as it is now and how it was then. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, I grew up with two television stars, Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima. Uh, That's it. That's all I saw on television. Uncle Ben, Aunt Jemima. They put Amos and Annie on, and the NAACP kicked them off. Nat King Cole was on for about six weeks. Yeah. And the big deal was uh, Dick Clark's going to have uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Oh, yeah. And Ed Sullivan is going to have the Supreme. Okay? So, like I said, so who paid any attention to Ed Sullivan? Yeah. We didn't pay any attention to Dick Clark. And we didn't pay very much attention to whatever else was going on in popular culture that did not include us. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, so no, things have, things have not changed. People have changed. Things pretty much are still the same. Yeah. People have changed. And what people have done now, they've been a little, some of us a little more tolerant for things that are different. Yeah. And some of us are a little more tolerant for um, a little more acceptable of somebody kind of being in your space or in your stratosphere or in your in, in, you know, kind of in your scene. Yeah. Because, so, see, I used to feel like back in the day when I when I went to Vanderbilt, we were called space invaders. We, we were invading somebody's space. Wow. You walked past one of the fraternity houses and somebody had something to say. And you say, well, okay, I'll just go on past here because uh, I got time to fool with this one because when I get up here, I got to deal with the tri-delts or whatever they yeah. do. And so you, you move on to the next deal. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's, and that's, and it's, but, that, but that's just your reality. So you have to deal with, you have to deal with that particular type of reality. We were talking about that today at the seminar, how uh, um, difficult it was for those of us who showed up at school. There were 12 African Americans in my freshman class at Vandy. Yeah. There was 1,500 people in my freshman class. Oh my gosh. We were 1%. Less than. Less than 1%. Wow. 1% of the class. And so, and you literally didn't see anybody hardly at all except running through the cafeteria. So, you know, it was basically basically like you just kind of ducking and dodging around corners all the the time. But like I said, that's. That's the reality of the situation. See, yeah. that, see, the thing about it is, is that because it's your gaze, mm-hmm. your world, and your sight, you said they go, oh, that's kind of bad. No, that's just how it was. Yeah. See, so be, being how it was, because nobody ever asked me what my gaze was. Right. <laughs> but no, that's, that's, that's just how it was. See, that, see right. that's the thing. It's, the, it's, the, it's just the reality. 
See, and the, and the problem that everybody seems to have, see, you can't put yourself in that no. situation. I, I am, I mean, I'm sure people know that I am very much just this young white woman <laughs> married to a white man. Like, and, this and, is, and, and you, so and, my, my perspective is and, very different. And be there. Yeah. And be there. Yeah. All right, and I say, and, and that's what I try to tell people all the time, you know, do you. You know, see, if we all would do us, and we, we pretty much would do all right. But see, what we some of us are we're afraid to do us because we don't like what we see when we look in the mirror. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? See, I've always liked what I saw when I looked in the mirror because we had a a, a real good community, as you say. Yeah. And we got to do a lot of stuff. We got to do a whole lot of stuff that yeah. you know we weren't going to get to do. I remember my sister and brother. My sister was in the band. My brother was in the band. My brother played football. My sister played basketball, softball, all these things. But when they put the schools together, they had to cut down on some of their activities. Of course, yeah. And, so, and, and, and you know, they, they just never really, you know, cared for not, you know, cutting down on the activities. But they were a little bit more, uh, my sister and brother were more people-oriented than I was. I'm I'm a task person. You give me something to do, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And I don't care what you do. You if you interfere with me, I'm gonna break your neck and keep on doing what I gotta but do. We talked about that on the phone well, that's, yesterday. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's that's, that's 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 the name of the game. Right. Because I understood, or you have to understand, people will mess with you just because they can. Right. And so if you can do something stupid if you want to, and somebody mess with you and you can get off track while you're doing something stupid if you're doing something that you really need to do and somebody mess with you you need to stop that immediately nip that in the bud and get back to what you're doing yeah as a criminal defense attorney i got to remember who did what to who when they did it yeah and why they did it and if i get the opportunity i will get you Okay. And okay. see, and that, yeah. you know what that does? That stops you in your tracks. Yeah. That guy ain't taking no stuff. Yeah. All right. You can't take no stuff. You take a lot of stuff, and you're going to be in the stuff taking business. Yeah. So you either nip it in the bud or you have to deal with it. And, but that's the nature of how we were raised. Right. We're not honest with ourselves about some of the things that are very, very important and what we need to be trying to do. And if we don't do that, we're gonna have some problems. Yeah. And that's why we're having difficulties now with our, uh, with all our systems. Yeah. Because we just don't, we won't sit down and say, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, but I, I wish that, I wish we could do that, but it's just really difficult to do. Yeah. And I'm hoping that um, the next Generation Alexa, I'm 71 years old. Maybe this kid down here. No, not necessarily so, see. Um, our generations don't turn over all that fast. Though. Right. Think about it. I, I, uh, you can get with this. I was born when, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Truman was president. Uh, Eisenhower won in 52. Mm -hmm. Nixon was vice president. When I graduated from high school, Nixon was the president. Richard Nixon was in my life from 1952 
1970. All right? Wow, yeah. Okay? Yeah. He was vice president when I was born and president when I graduated from high school. And so things don't change all that right. swiftly. Uh, and so it, it, so we, we don't have the, it's not as fast as we'd like things to go. It's just real slow. And uh, we just have to kind of, you know, kind of roll with it. Yeah. Kind of roll with it. I wish, I, wish, I wish it would do a little bit faster. But we can't do it because it takes a while to get things under control. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, takes a lot, it takes a long time to, to understand where we're going wrong, what we're doing wrong, that type of thing. It was just like with us at school, we understood that once the schools were integrated and we had a chance to go to wherever we wanted to go, we were going to lose some students and we had students go to Hensonville, students went to Portland, yeah. students went to, um, uh, went to Gill, Vienna, Stewart, all around. Yeah, yeah. And our school went from like 750 kids to 250. So we lost about four or 500 kids in a five or six year period of time because it was kind of tough. Yeah. And so, but but we didn't lose them because they really wanted to go. It was more convenient for the kids in Hensonville to go to Hensonville. Yeah, which makes sense. And then, and then we looked yeah. around. We said, "Well, Lord, we we got trouble." So they told us in 1969, we weren't going to have a school. I graduated. I was a junior in 1969. They told us Union High will not open again. So I left town and went to Detroit. I moved. Yeah. And my brother called me and said. They gonna open the school back up. <laughs> I said, "What school?" He said, "I'm going to football practice." I said, "Where at Gallatin Junior High?" He said, "No, Union High School." I caught the first bus coming out of Detroit to get back down here because I knew I'd left to avoid going to Gallatin High School. Yeah. Because I knew it was going to be real strange. Yeah. You don't want to be a pioneer. You want to follow in somebody else's footsteps. You do not want to be a pioneer. Go out to Wynwood and try to find out where he's buried. Okay, he was a pioneer, and I know he slept in a hollow log out there a couple of times and stuff. That's what pioneers do. You don't want to be a pioneer. You want to be somebody that follows somebody a long way back. But the Lewis and Clark expedition, you don't want to be Lewis or Clark. All right. You want to be somebody that goes out there and goes, this is what they were talking about, yeah. <laughs> oh but you don't want to be the pioneer. And so what yeah. had happened is in 1965, they told us, we'd like for you to be pioneers. And we kept thinking, that doesn't really sound like a, yeah. a good thing to do because everybody's experimenting with how to treat you. Yeah. And either way it goes, they ain't going to get it right. Right. So you end up... Ticked off like my friend who came to see me the other day mm -hmm. about something that happened to him 40 years ago. Gosh. Because nobody understood who he was or how he was, and uh, you know, just you can't you can't expect people to do that. Right. See, because see, like, like I told, used to tell my mother, and I no disrespect to people who teach. You can make a D C student out of a D student. You can make a B student out of a C student. 
you can't touch the A student and you cannot touch the F student. Mm. The F student doesn't care. The A student ain't listening. All right? Because if I got to sit in the classroom and listen to you, who's a D student, try to make it to C, I ain't learning nothing. Mm. All right? If I got to listen to a C student, try to make it to B, I ain't learning nothing. All right? And then when you finally get around to me, you look at me and say, uh, your conduct is not what I wanted to be. Yeah, because I had to tune out of this deal two years ago. And that's what I used to tell my mother. I said, Mom, you're a great teacher. But you, 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 you I'm not, I'm not, you can't teach me anything. Mm. I, I apologize, but you can't, but, but this guy over here needs your help. Or this girl needs your help. But I don't need your help. I just need to be able to tune this stuff out that's going on behind, around me mm-hmm. so I can concentrate on what I'm doing, which is trying to get the heck up out of here uh, without uh, uh, letting some of this other stuff kind of bog me down. Right. And that's literally what happened uh, when, these, when these schools came together. Because, dear, I can tell you now, I sat down in Vanderbilt from 1970 to 1979, and I didn't meet too many folks coming from Galton up there. I didn't meet very many people at all who were matriculating and coming to Vanderbilt and studying where I was studying. I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. We're supposed to be the ones who are real stupid. Yeah. But I didn't see I did not see anybody that made it past two months when they came down there. Except for you. Well no. See, I'm gonna make it anyway. Because like I said before, I know what I'm capable of. Yeah. And once you know what you're capable of, like I tell people, I only had two things happen to me in my life that I didn't plan. Two things. The NBA, I did not plan the NBA. I did not want to go to the NBA. All right? I, did, I didn't want to play sports in college. It took up too much of my time. I wanted to be a student only and walk around like the rest of the student owners. But to go to basketball practice at three o'clock in the afternoon, practice till six, rush to the cafeteria at seven. When you got back to the dormitory, the drinking light was on, everybody was having a good time and you got to study. And that's how, that's how I went to college. Yeah. And so I didn't want to do that. But I did not plan to be in the NBA because when I got out of college, they would not let me into law school. So I put, they put me on the waiting list, and so I'm sitting around trying to figure out what to do. And this girl calls me and says, I've been admitted to the law school, and I said, you're from Sumner County. Mm-hmm. You're an African-American. They're not going to let two of us in. Mm. I need to find something to do. So I took off to Detroit, signed the contract, and made the team. But I didn't plan on doing that. I planned on going to law school right after coming out of college. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. And I did not plan on this book. It was not something that I thought very much about until Eddie came to me and approached me with it. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, uh, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do whatever's necessary, but it, it, the success of it uh, shook me. Mm. It's serious. Life is a serious circumstance and everything you involve yourself in needs to be as serious as you can possibly make it. But this is what we do not do. It's now, everything's frivolous. Mm. Everything is frivolous. 
You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, but when we were in school, we all knew this, you know, this is all we're going to get. Everybody was sitting around going, Lord, what's going to happen when they close this school? Where am I going to go? I mean, I had friends of mine who ended up having to repeat the junior year and sophomore year in high school. Mm. And, you know, they didn't know that they weren't up to snuff. Yeah. And then when they put the schools together, they said, what happened to your sister? Well, she's repeating the sophomore year. Uh, Whoa. You know, didn't know that. Yeah. So you have to be, you know, we have to be a lot more diligent about, because we don't know what to, tomorrow's going to bring. And you have to get ready. And that's what our teachers told us. We were sitting in school and they said, son, you better get ready. Because when things change, I might may not be your teacher. You're going to get somebody else who may look at you a little bit more critically, mm-hmm. who may look at you a little bit more uh, circumspectly. You're going you're gonna to have to be a little bit, little bit, little bit more spit and polished. That's what they told me when I got to Vanderbilt. I looked around, I said, mm-hmm. something is wrong here. And then I realized, I said, hey, these people are on the third, fourth generation of being in this place. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just rolling here off the back of the watermelon truck. So what am I going to do? to try to stay here. And what you have to basically do is you have to sit up there and see what's going on and work with it. And what we don't do, we're not flexible. We've got to be a lot more flexible to function in in this future world in which we're going to run to get. Please believe me when I say I'm... I've never been optimistic. I didn't go to law school because I was optimistic. I'm a skeptic. I'm a critic. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I nitpick. But that's what is necessary. All right? So this is why I don't go around places. This is why you don't see me making speeches or trying to run for office and stuff because I'm going to tell it just exactly like the T.I. is. Right. And when you do this, uh, it does not make you popular, and people don't want to be around you because you're not really what you call fun at the cocktail party. <laughs> I ain't never been fun at the cocktail party. Mm. Stuff. I just get drunk and go to sleep. Oh you know, I don't get fun. <laughs> I ain't fun at the cocktail party. Uh, and so, literally, what you have to do is look at yourself and see what kind of person you are, mm-hmm. and then you'll know kind of how to navigate uh, these things that are going out here. But like I yeah. said, I, I, I appreciate this opportunity. I've never spoken to anybody about any particular thing at all, particularly here in Galton, because I don't have anybody to talk to here. Mm. And this is be the last time anybody hears me saying the doggone thing, because uh, they don't want to hear it. Right? Mm. Because everybody is kind of in some kind of little fantasy world, and they love it there. It's called, I used to tell somebody, it's like Disney World and Disneyland. We. When I grew up, there wasn't no Mouseketeers looking like me. So when Mr. Disney moved down to Orlando, he didn't get none of my money. All right, now, I've sent my nieces down there a couple of times. He got some of my money through mm-hmm. them, but he didn't get none of mine. Yeah. Because I don't do fantasy. I do reality. And the problem is, each and every one of you sitting out here sees a different kind of reality. That's why I took the approach that I've taken. Yeah. That's why you don't see my picture on the post office up there going, vote for me. No, you won't <laughs> see me because uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm, right. I'm glad that my good friend out here is good at it because I certainly couldn't do it, Lord have mercy. Yes. 
That's going to be bad. So give me advice for everyone out here. Like, short and sweet. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Hmm. Try to wear them. Think about it. You know, before you pick up that rock and throw that stone, think about what's going, what's going on here. Look a little deeper at the circumstances as, as of, of some of the things that are going on around you. And if you can do that, and that gives everybody a, a little a little leeway. Give it, give give people a little leeway. That's what we don't do. We don't we don't cut nobody no slack and stuff anymore. Now we don't sit there. And, you know, why you do this? This everybody has a reason for doing everything that they do. And if we listen long enough, and it'll make sense. I don't even care what it'll make sense. But then you'll understand why this person did what they did. You know, it makes sense to them. It may not make sense to you, but it makes sense to them. Yeah. It'd be easy. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for letting me ramble on like I a love crazy, it. crazy old man. Yeah, I'm sure you do, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> you, no, I, I really do. Don't, don't don't let don't let your ratings fall out. <laughs> I love it. No, this okay. is the goal is for people to have conversations about well, that's, you know the stuff um, that they like. Yeah. But the, thank you for having me. Of uh, course, and, and thank pl- you. And please cut this down so that it will be. <laughs> uh, so that somebody with some sense will follow will. this stuff, and please, yeah, please. Do I always do. Hey, you, I, I would hope so, this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank all you all for sitting in and listening to a, a crazy old man talk for a minute or two. You and know I who's coming good. up next? Who's that? Another crazy old oh, man. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> Not an old one, just a mildly crazy no. one. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So this is Mr. Kenneth Thompson. He is uh, the Sumner County historian, and he's also very clever. And <laughs> I got an award for knowing the most dead people in Sumner County. He did. And um, Kenneth, give me a short snippet of who you are. I just introduced you, That'll but tell me something fun. Minutes. No, you have to you have to like narrow it down. Who are you and what what are you passionate about? Please don't see dead people. <laughs> well my family have been here since seventeen eighty. Oh my gosh. And I'm yeah. Ken to Chris. <laughs> of course. So I said enough. Yeah, great. Perfect. Okay, so uh, now Bill Bill said he was born when Truman was president. I remember Roosevelt, and don't ask me which Roosevelt. Oh my God. But I think I was born under Abraham Lincoln, really. <laughs> no, that is a little bit too far back. But uh, what I'm going to talk about is uh, a history lesson in race relations that should have continued from 1780. Yeah. Earlier than that, really. We're going back to 17. Well, I'm going back to the 1600s. <laughs> Great. I'm going to talk about uh, an early settler that came here in 1782. And he was the great-grandson 
of, a, of John Gibson who came to this country in the 1740s and his son John Jr. who was born here in 1765 in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania and then their son Gideon who lived in Lancaster County, Virginia and uh, John Jr.'s wife we don't know but she must have been black because Gideon was listed as a mulatto ah. and he married a white woman in 1720 Ann Brown and her father was gentleman uh, William Brown mm. and so that couple and a group of they said it in one of the books 50 mixed couples moved from Virginia to the Sherrall district of South Carolina in the 1730s early 1730s well, a lot of the neighbors complained about the mixed couples being there. Mm. So the colonial governor 17. called them in and examined the men. He didn't care about the women. He just interrogated the, mm. the men. Mm -hmm. Well, he allowed them to stay. He, he thought they were intelligent. He thought they were all smart and, <coughs> and they were planters. And, they, and, were, uh, they were intelligent human yeah, beings. Yeah, as and so he, and they were all black men yeah. with white wives. So... He let them stay, and of course they assimilated. And Gideon uh, participated in putting down an Indian uprising at one point, and then he was a regulator. Anybody know what a regulator is? No. Yeah. Oh. It, it's a, t a type of police. They had all these people, groups going around terrorizing everybody, and, and they organized, the good guys organized the regulators. Wow. And they went around and, and uh, eliminated the yeah. Terrorist. Got it. So anyway, time passed and the Revolutionary War came and he had children and, and several of his children served in the Revolutionary War. And Jordan Gibson is the particular one I want to talk about. And Jordan participated in the uh, Battle of Charleston. He and his brother William. And while they were fighting for independence, the second meanest Tory commander came in and burned them all out in 1781 and his name was James Weems mm. and he was the ancestor of the Weemses that lived here mm -hmm. Fairview <clears throat> well and and they actually admitted to being kin to this man he was oh. he was a Tory but he didn't go back to England he decided he liked it over here so yeah. the family converted and stayed Staying. over here but anyway, after they were burned out, they all left, a, a group of them anyway, and came to Castilian Springs. And uh, Jordan Gibson was the nearest neighbor to Major William Hall, Hall Station on um, Governor Hall Road. Yeah. Um, this is the interesting part. <laughs> He was a friend of the Bledsoe, Anthony Bledsoe, and Anthony oh. Bledsoe issued all the land grants. Uh-huh. Well, Anthony Bledsoe gave Jordan Gibson 640 acres land grant, North Carolina grant. Wow. Well, he fought for South Carolina, so that was illegal, number one. <laughs> and number two, 
Deshays Creek ran right through the middle of it. Well, that was illegal because a creek or a salt lick was public domain. Yeah. So <clears throat> they had some kind of a secret agreement. We don't know what it was. But almost immediately, Jordan Gibson signed back to Anthony Bledsoe 320 acres, half of it. Well, that made it legal to have the creek there because it was on the boundary. Right. But it was still illegal for him to have a North Carolina land grant. Right. But anyway, he was allowed to stay and keep it. Well, the first record we have of him here was he bought a bed, and I don't know why they recorded it in the courthouse. But a bed? Yeah. <laughs> in January of, of 1784. Yeah, 84. And he bought it from James McCain, who's one of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And then the next two records we have of him, this was Davidson County. Mm -hmm. He was a juror in two trials. A black man, 1784, a juror wow. in two trials. Yeah. And then in 1787, I checked the, t the tax list. And he listed everybody in the neighborhood out there. William Hall, who was my ancestor, was his closest neighbor. Yeah. Well, he listed all of them. One white male, so many acres. Well, it got to Jordan Gibson that said one black male, one black female. It last listed her too, 320 acres, hmm. what they had. Well, then the... Uh, in January of 1788, he was killed by the Indians mm. <clears throat> trying to get to Hall Station. And he and Charles Morgan were both killed. Morgan lived a few days, and Morgan was Hall's son-in-law. So uh, from there, um, Governor Hall was the son of old William Hall. He was general in the War of 1812. And, and uh, succeeded Houston governor when they ran Houston out of the state for being mean to Eliza. Well, anyway, in 1852, Governor Hall wrote his narrative about the Indian Wars, mm -hmm. 18, 1785 to 1795. And he talks about Jordan Gibson being murdered by the Indians. Mm -hmm. And he put in there and I didn't understand this for years because I didn't know about the situation, said he left no white family. And I thought that was a gentle way of putting it for that, that time period, you know, but I didn't understand it till we found out who Jordan Gibson was. You yeah. Know? Well, anyway, Jordan Gibson um, yeah. family really assimilated with everybody here. Yeah. And as I told Bill a minute ago, I said, most of the descendants are now uh, very light or white, you yeah. know. And we have, there's a docent at Craig Font now that's a descendant of his, and she took the DNA test. She said, I'm 2%. So, <clears throat> but anyway, I'm going to tell you about the children of Jordan Gibson. Excellent. That's the interesting part. It's all interesting, <laughs> but okay. He lost some children before he came here, but uh, he had a son that he lost named Jordan Jr. And, uh, we don't know how many, but there were four surviving children that came here, three daughters who were already married and a son who was not married. Mm -hmm. The oldest one was a daughter, Mariah. 
and she had been married to John Black. And the family history says he either died in the Revolutionary War or he en route to the Cumberland Settlements. Don't yeah. know. She was a widow when she got here. Got it. She had three children, and the daughter, Susan Black, married General James Winchester. Oh. At Craig Font. Okay. Yeah. So she was Miss. The mistress of Craig Font was the granddaughter of Jordan Gibson, the black man. And, uh, oh. which I think is interesting. Yeah. And then their oldest son, Marcus Brutus Winchester, was the first mayor of Memphis, because General Winchester was one of the founders of Memphis. And he married a black woman. Well, he wasn't allowed to live in the city limits of Memphis. He had to live outside the city limits to be mayor. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> That's not the most interesting thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, then the second daughter was Cynthia, and she married James Harrison. And James Harrison was a revolutionary soldier. And of course, they came here married. They had a daughter named Cynthia who married Robert Wynn. And their son was Colonel Alfred Royal Wynn, who built Wynwood. Yeah. And Bill mentioned Wynwood. Yeah. So all the descendants of Colonel Wynn have African ancestors, not so far away. I mean, we all do, but it's not, right. not far away. I don't think that's far away, being a student of history, some of the county history, Yeah. which I think is interesting. <laughs> then daughter Rhoda married James Odom, and they were the only ones that didn't live up at the Lick. They lived out on the Red River Road on land that's fixing to be developed between uh, the fire station out there and the 109 bypass. Yeah. Sold for $40 million. Well, that's where they lived. Okay. And their family, their descent, all the family, all the descendants of this man married well. Yeah. Well, they used to call it marrying up. Well, anyway, they all did well. I like to say that Nick married up, so. Well, I'm not gonna comment on that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, Rhoda and, and James Odom had uh, a number of children, and the ex-mayor lives in their daughter Elizabeth's house, Oh, Don Wright's house. Yeah. That belonged, that was James Rhoda Gibson's daughter Elizabeth. Oh. Their daughter Mary lived in the house right there on the road that sits sideways to the road, yeah. perpendicular to the road. She married Colonel George Elliott. That was Mary Odom. Their son, Her uh, Eli Odom, we did in the cemetery tour last year. Mm -hmm. Odom's Ben, out here. Yeah. Okay, he was a, he was the grandson of, of Jordan Gibson. His name is on the biggest monument in the Galson Cemetery, and last year we portrayed him as a black man. Because he Nobody was? said a word. Yeah. You know. Well, I wouldn't care if they did, but. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but anyway, he, Eli Odom was the wealthiest man in this county after the Civil War. He was smart yeah. enough to keep his northern investments during the war. And he left it all to one grandchild. He mm -hmm. had only had one grandchild, Katie Trousdale. Oh. And she okay. married, she built Langley Hall. Yep. She married William Young Allen, and uh, 
she had no children, mm -hmm. but uh, she man her father, of course, was the son-in-law of Eli Odom, and he managed the money well because her mother died in childbirth, mm -hmm. Ellen Odom. But anyway, she she was one of the forces in this county mm -hmm. her entire life and helped everybody, you know, in every organization. And was she she was portrayed in the cemetery tour? Yes, we portrayed two, her two years ago. Oh, it's been longer than that, I think. I don't know, we've done 200 people, so I... <laughs> okay. Hard for me it's to been remember. A while. remember. I'm old. I'm a, I remember Abraham <laughs> Lincoln, I remember. Four years ago, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think it's just interesting how... Oh, I'll have to tell you about the son. Yeah. He's the interesting one. Okay. Uh, Roger Gibson. And Roger was not married when they came here. And he married in 1785 and uh, built a cabin that we now have in Bledsoe Park, historic oh. Bledsoe Park. Yeah. They labeled it the Hunley cabin, and it's not the Hunley cabin. It's the Gibson cabin. Okay. Roger Gibson built it when he married in 1785. He married Dr. Fanny Arbuthnot, who was a botanical doctor. Okay. What does that, what's a botanical doctor? Somebody that treats everything from nature. Like with herbs? Herbs and, and spices. Great. And okay. Everything Excellent. natural. Everything cool. natural. And um, they had 10 children. And in front of that log house, they built a brick house about 1795 yeah. that I remember about the size of Hawthorne Hill. And mm -hmm. it had a zigzag design in the front in black brick, several rows. Well, in about 1806, they had been married 21 years and he started messing around. Yeah. So, in 1811, they were divorced. Ah. And that house was sold. And no, no Gibson ever owned They always called it the Gibson house. But mm -hmm. anyway, it was torn down 60 years ago. And, uh, Mr. George Wynn, who was the grandson of Colonel A.R. Wynn that lived at Wynwood, yeah. got some of the ash flooring out of that house when they tore it down to replace the dining room floor at Craig Front because it was so bad. Oh, wow. So that flooring in the dining room came out of Roger Gibson's brick house That's that he cool. built. It was older than Craig Front. Yeah. Wow. Oh. So anyway, That's they divorced amazing. in 1811 and they sold that property and, and uh, his, his his uh, grass widow, you know, there's a difference in a sod widow and a grass widow. When you bury them, it's sod. If you divorce them, it's grass. Oh, so, Fanny, I, Dr. I didn't know that. Dr. Fanny Arbuthnot bought a farm on Belote's Bend Road where mm -hmm. her family lived till 1977. Oh my gosh. Bought it in 1811. Wow, okay. And <clears throat> when she died, the stuff was left in the house that had been hers yeah. from her medical books and things, you know. Wow. Ledgers. Yeah. And we have those at the archives. Amazing. Well, then Roger runs off. This time, she, she was a white woman. So he runs off with a black woman and goes to West Tennessee. Okay. And, ha and has two more women after oh. Fanny and had children by them. 
and lived in Carroll County, West Tennessee. Well, yeah. in the 1850s, the guy that owned the original 320 acres that was uh, gifted, granted mm -hmm. to Jordan Gibson 70 years before, was in litigation. They were trying to get a clear title to it. Okay. So they hauled Roger into court in his 80s in West Tennessee, trying to get a clear title to that, wow. and they did. And but, he, oh wow, so he was a womanizer uh, yeah. and got dragged to court. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> might as well tell the truth. I mean, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is some hot tea, piping hot tea we're getting See, tonight. See, they're not all perfect like you, you know. <laughs> I am perfect, what can I, I say? <laughs> Just ask Nick. Um, True. But anyway, the, it's amazing to me, as much history as I've studied, yeah. how those people came here and everybody knew they were black and they intermarried with the white community and nobody said a word. Yeah, as they, sh I mean, they shouldn't. I, mean, so. I know. And what, but if they is, could do it then, why couldn't they do it now? Right, you know, right. That's, that's my story. <laughs> that's, wow. Thank you. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, don't you get up yet. So now I need you to give everyone out here, if you had one piece of advice to give them, what advice would you give them? To watch what they say and do every day because they're creating their own legacy that's going to be housed at the Sumner County Museum. <laughs> and I'll be reading about it 100 years from now. I'll be there. Are we going to store this in the archive? <laughs> Jessica, are we going to keep this in the museum archive? Oh, yeah. I will, I will let you have it, girl. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. I want my residuals from this. I will. <laughs> you know how much I make a month on this build podcast? My, build my attorney. It is. I make $8. I'll give you 10%. Bill, what should we sue her for? <laughs> Sounds yeah, good to me. I can give you $2.50. I'll make it a little more than 30%. Well, that sounds better, doesn't it, Bill? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Okay, so I'm really excited, but Nicholas is not very excited, so um, he is a ham, but today he's just embarrassed by me, I guess. So, hey, Nicholas. Huh? Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm nine years old. Yeah? I'm a boy. Uh-huh. What do you like to do? Stay on my phone all day. Oh, okay, he likes to stay on his phone. He likes to play with my dog. Yep. Yep. So you like cats? Good, I'm good. A cat and dog person. Cat and dog. What about chickens? How do you know? I mean, have you been to Sea Hours yet? No. You know we have seven? No. Uh, we do. <laughs> okay, so, Nicholas, earlier we were talking about community, and I asked you what your favorite like community event was that you've ever been part of I know you've been part of a lot um, and I believe what what event did you tell me what was it I have both. 
You, you have multiple? I mean, I have two. Okay, I love that. Tell me about the first one, and then we'll talk about the second one. Uh, say Juneteenth. Okay. Why do you like Juneteenth? Well, it's where we celebrate black people and when we got free from slavery. Yeah. Um, your mom plans Juneteenth, right? She's part of the planning committee? Yeah. Do you, are you ever part of that? Do you listen? Yes. Do you have ideas for how to make it better? Yes. Yes? I've never been to share them. Will you tell me one? Well, that's something I forgot what it was, but I think we should add something else mm-hmm. to where, like, we, like, all the people, all the visitors, yeah. like, at the end, we, like, they all get in a straight line and we all, like, take a picture. Oh, like a big group photo of all the vendors? Yep, and end up hanging it up. Hanging it somewhere? That is a fun idea. Do you think that would show, like, community? Yeah. Yeah? Um, Did you have a very favorite part of Juneteenth last year? Like, the best part of all of it. I think I told you before, but I enjoyed the fact that Nick... My Nick, my husband Nick, not you, won the rib contest. I was very proud of that. Um, but also, I really enjoyed the dance contest. So, what was your favorite I part? The part where me and Mackenzie got to help everyone and got to go around and see everyone and pass out snacks in the water. Yeah. That's awesome. So you said you have another community event that you really enjoyed? What was it? When we built an outdoor classroom at Alexa Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The outdoor classroom? At Galton. Galton Child Care? Yeah. So who did you do that with? It was your mom? Mackenzie. Um, actually, other people. Was it the Leadership Gallatin class? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to be famous when you grow up? Of course. Of course. Okay, so this is the first interview you're going to do of many one day. So, why did you like the outdoor classroom? Well, we got to help, like, a ton of children that didn't really have a lot of space Yeah. in their classroom. So, we had built an outdoor one so when they don't have any more space is there they can come out but if there's so many kids in one in the classroom we can they can go another group of kids that don't have any space can go to the outdoor classroom and yeah whatever they do there that's awesome i i wish i had had an outdoor classroom when i was little <laughs> that would have been really cool so i'm gonna ask you one more question If there was something that you could do to kind of help Gallatin become a more welcoming place, we already know that it's a great place to be part of the community. Do you have any ideas? What would you do? What would I change about it? Sure. What would you add? Or what would you change about it? Whichever one you want. We'll have both. I would change a lot of other people. I would want to have a lot of people who would want to do community work and mm-hmm. go around Gallatin and clean up trash. Okay, so like 
basically, um, I think that the library does that in the summer sometimes. They go and do community cleanups and pick up trash. He's catching all the mosquitoes up here, so thank you. Um, so I think that's a great idea. Would that be the thing you would add or the thing you would change? Think about it. I would want a lot more people to come and do community work instead of not doing community work. Got it. You would basically just say that in order to give back to the community, you want more people to come out and, and volunteer? I would also add a lot more homeless shelters for people who don't have houses. Yeah. And that need like a job or extra money or yeah, a place you would, to live. You want people to have opportunities to, yeah. That's a great, that's a great idea. You're a cool kid, you know that? Okay, so I, I lied. I said I was gonna ask you one more question. This is the final question. Okay. What piece of advice would you give to our audience? To do community cleanups and to help our community so it stays the way it is and, well, not say the way it is, but like, help people convince other people to do community things. Yeah, yeah. Like volunteer. That's awesome. Is there anything else you want to share? Well, we also built picnic tables at Caps, and I was the... You have done a lot of projects. And I was one of the people who helped build them all. That's awesome. So if we need to have a outdoor playroom, or an outdoor classroom, or picnic tables built, we call you. Yep. <laughs> okay. Hey. Y'all ready? That's what we're going to do. Maybe we'll have a, a Nicholas classroom one day. That'd be cool. Awesome. Anything else? That's it. Fabulous. High five. You're the best. That was kind of a bad high five. Come give me a hug. Well, is that okay? Can I give you a hug? This is my buddy. So my name is Kanisha Dotson. I am a Gallatin native. I was born, raised right here in Gallatin. I, I like to joke and say I love all things Gallatin. Go Greenway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. So Great. I love it. Perfect. She's cool. I try to be. Yeah, you're super cool. <laughs> She's also the mother of Nicholas, who was just on. Yes. I um, have two boys. Mm -hmm. That's the little one. I have a bigger one. He didn't want to come. He's a teenager, so that's his choice. He rolls his eyes a lot, but I still like him. Yeah. Okay, so I tell me, like, we've been kind of talking about community, but also about, I would say, race relations and and the world that we yes yeah, so i mean you want shalom zone you want a juneteenth you want a <laughs> my life period. your life what do you want to talk about um 
I well, as you're alluding to, I'm pretty active in the community. I if there's a volunteer opportunity and my schedule's free, I'm probably there. Um, I love to love on my community. I it's one of my love languages. It makes me feel better when I do it. Um, I, I don't know when I guess I got involved in it. I've kind of always done stuff. I was a peer leader in high school. I've kind of always been in the helping realm of things. I kind of like to help others help themselves. Um, so yeah, so we volunteer a lot. We do a lot of things. I drag my kids around to all the things we volunteer at, um, as you can see. And I, I've been volunteering with the Galveston Shalom Zone for probably probably three and a half years-ish, yeah. um, probably more so in the past two. Um, I, I see the work that they're doing in the community. You know, you have a, Galveston is home to a lot of nonprofits, um, like a lot of nonprofits. And sometimes <laughs> it's, it's hard to see the actual impact on a daily level. Um, and so I kind of, I like to give my passions where I see the, um, where the effort is meeting the need. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think Galveston Shalom do, does very well. They try to meet the community where it is and give the community what it needs versus just giving the community something. Um, so anyway, I can be a part of that. They were like, would you? And I was like, yes, I will. Yeah, I will. That's awesome. So I also would love to know, why did you decide to do the Juneteenth event? It was like two, two years. Was this the third or this the second? This was the third year. The third. Give us our props. I, you get all the props. <laughs> so. I was just sick for two of them. You so were I sick can't for two remember. Of them. <laughs> I'm glad you were sick for this one. You were Me able too. to come experience it. Um, so Juneteenth, uh, we started, and I say we because it was not just myself. There was a, the first year was just me and Brenda. We just got our, pulled our resources, yeah. <laughs> pulled our resources and got, pulled the event off in two weeks. And to me, that was a true testament of, of my community. Yeah. Uh, we got the approval from the property owners and like approval from the city and things just started happening. You know, it was basically an idea and it happened um, I dr we drive past the location on Blast Street all the time, and I've always kind of been aware of the history, um, mm -hmm. but kind of in a, oh, that's over there kind of thing. The year that Juneteenth became a federal holiday, yeah. Um, I was thinking, like, why, why do we not celebrate it more? Yeah. I remember I was in college when I found out what Juneteenth was, um, and I remember feeling robbed, in a sense, of, like, having what I felt like was a holiday for my culture that I wasn't allowed to or informed on. Mm -hmm. um, and I figured it'd be a good way to bring that, bring that to Gallatin. We, Gallatin has a lot of deep history. It has a lot of, of wide history. It's, there's a lot of history about a lot of different things. And there's a lot of natives who weren't aware of the history of that plot where we used, where we have the um, yeah. event. And so we thought it'd be a good way to like segue past, future, present, all in once and so we decided to celebrate Juneteenth and we've just celebrated year three this was our biggest year yet and um it's only going to get bigger and it's because of the community that myself and the other com committee members have been building over the past yeah. few years y'all have done an amazing job and I'll, I'll say it was my first year going mm -hmm. um but I want to say for those who are listening and aren't here and may not know or aren't from Gallatin, the location is, and this is in quotes, this is the official title, it is the Old Colored Fairgrounds. Yes. And um, that is where the Colored Fair was held in Sumner County back in the day. 
and Sumner when, County Agricultural Colored Fair. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when, what was the last year for that? That was, uh, I feel like we talked about this one day and I knew 70. the date. It was 70 something. Was this, was Dotson? 79-ish? 79-ish. So yeah, it went around, it, it, the colored fair went on for a long time. It was mm -hmm. a, um, a, a, what I would call a homecoming of sorts. Um, you have a lot of people from the black community, when you got of a certain age or if you wanted any kind of progress in life, you kind of moved away from here because there was limited options for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it was used as a homecoming of all the people that moved away, yeah. all the family would come back for that weekend in September. And it was just a huge, it was a, it was a really huge deal. And I'm sad that I wasn't around to witness yeah. it, but it makes me really excited that I get to potentially bring something, um, something like that back here. Cause it's in a perfect world, best. we would model that. It really is the best. I mean, like, I know I've said it twice now, but so Nick, my husband, won the rib contest, which is he hilarious. It is hilarious, but, but also, also I loved when the Brenda. Ribs were delicious. I think like Brenda <laughs> announced it or something, and I was. I think you said like Nick, and then someone was like D'Amico, and you're like D'Amico. <laughs> I said D'Amico. Yes, like, and it was just it was just the best because it it was so nice to be part of that like part of yeah. the celebration and it, it's a celebration for everyone and yeah. that's kind it of is. what it is it's it's funny because um nick is a part of my the very first june team one of my favorite memories is when we taught him the oh, bunny hop yes which is you know the bunny hop is like a like a a black <laughs> line dance if you will um if you play it at a party like everybody's gonna get up and it was so funny because i look up and he's like watching them do the moves and uh -huh. the next second He's mastered it, and he's like adding his own funk to it, and I'm like, that is why that is why we are having this event. Yeah, so that we can all bunny hop together. White boy can dance. White boy can dance. White boy got moves, and he can cook ribs. Mm hmm. So uh, somebody else is gonna beat him next year. I don't know. Those ribs were good though. I don't lie. I mean, we did a blind taste test for a reason, so that nobody can shout favoritism in any way. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know the ribs spoke for themselves. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> well. Cool. What else do you all know? Um, I guess. So, do you have a favorite moment from Juneteenth? When it's over and we shut the gates? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Oh, okay. No. Well, oh, wait, oh, no, but you That is a starting, favorite moment. But you're this year you gave away a scholarship. Oh, yeah. Okay. That and you're doing part. that again, right? Yes. So, we... I remembered. You did remember. <laughs> but in honesty, closing the gate and locking the gate at the end of the night, we always shoot a video. Brenda and I always shoot a video at the end of the night of us locking the gate yeah. and it being over because that's kind of like, we did it, y'all. You did it. That is my favorite part because it's done and it's always a long day. So, yeah. I'm ready. I'm excited when it's over. Um, but we gave away our first Unity Scholarship this year. We gave it to, I hope I don't get their names wrong, um, Amaya Porter and Mariah McDowell, I do believe, were the two ladies who won. Mm -hmm. There was an essay portion of the competition, um, an essay portion, and we gave away two $500 scholarships. We hope to give away more. Um, we've decided to morph our event into a 501c3 nonprofit so that we can make a bigger impact and a bigger splash. Um, our, I think our hope and our overall goal is to pay for someone's entire education. I think that would be like the big 
the big goal is that if we could offer an entire four-year education yeah. to somebody wow. at no cost because um, money can be a huge burden in the words of education so mm -hmm. um, that's what we're doing and what is the nonprofit called I don't know if I can tell you yet the yeah, I mean, pretty much, we call it the Gallatin Unity Foundation, but we haven't signed that on paperwork yet, so. It is the One Day Gallatin Unity Foundation. <laughs> the GUF. I hate to say GUF. That's what I call it. Awesome. So the Gallatin Unity Foundation, hopefully, so. Be okay. on the lookout, because we're going to need some, some, some sponsor dollars. Yes, and your final question is, if you had to give advice to people out here, any, and not just out here, in the general world, the royal you, we, um, what would that be? Um, you cannot say the same thing as your son, which was to be more involved in the community. Well, I don't know how much more involved in the community I can be. You can't. Um, but I would say um, it's to always be yourself so realize what your best qualities are and be those um, but also to be the person that you needed when you needed someone because um, mm -hmm. you never know if you may need that person again so always try to be the help that you may need one day so I try to spread myself where I can in holes I need to because I never know what situation I might end up in and yeah. I've already sown those seeds be the you you needed when you needed someone yep. that's cool that's what i got for you cool okay bye thank you for joining us for episode 15 of story garden pod if you enjoyed today's live episode, I hope you'll subscribe and follow along as we go back to the normal format in our next episode, where we dig into a new set of stories each episode. As per usual with some of our more unique episodes, I go ahead and use my own music. It just makes it easier. So today's music was provided by Megan and her goody goodies. To support Story Garden Pod financially, become a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com backslash storygardenpod. We share extra stories, special cocktail recipes, and more, so don't miss it. And finally, did you enjoy today's episode? If you did, go ahead and leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your reviews help us reach a wider audience, which means we get to share more stories and build an even stronger community. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the garden.